بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ ٹوڈے از دا ٹویلتھ آف مارچ ان دا ایئر Alhamdulillah, we moved on to the sixth session that we're going through the commentary of the Blessed Surah Al-Hajj. And I've reached verse 17. So inshallah today going through up to and including verse 18. So verse 17. Those who believe, i.e. in the Quran, those who follow the Jewish, i.e. scriptures, and the Sabians, and the Christians, the Magians and the Polytheists, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will judge between them on the day of judgment. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a witness of all things. So here is a few things mentioned. So first of all, there's a very similar verse in Surah 2 verse 62. So in Surah Baqarah, Surah 2 verse 62, there, there's a report. And I'll mention the report. So, it's recorded in Ibn Abi Hatim and Adni in his Musnad and Tafsir Jalalain. Mujahid Rahmatullah he said, Salman al-Farsi radiyallahu, he said, when I asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa about some people whose religion I was following and to him I mentioned their prayers and acts of worship, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He revealed, i.e. this verse, verse Surah 2, verse 62. And the verse translates, Those who believe and those who follow the Jewish and the Christians and the Sabians, who any who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the last day and work righteousness shall have their reward with their Lord. On them shall be no fear, nor shall they grieve. So in this report, Salman al-Farsi as is famously known, he went through many teachers and he was querying about his teachers and he mentioned some of their, their acts of worship and Allah the Almighty revealed this verse. But clarifying further, Al-Wahidi mentions and also Tafsir Jalalain that Mujahid said, Rahmatullah When Salman al-Farsi related to Rasulullah the story of his teachers, Rasulullah said, they are in the hellfire. Salman said, the world turned dark on me. Then Allah the Almighty revealed this verse, Surah 2 verse 62. Salman then said, it was then as if a mountain had been left from my breast. So, Salman al-Farsi, in this report, he asked, and the Prophet said, there's no good in the Christians, meaning they're in the hellfire. So Salman was thinking about the virtues of his teachers, <coughs> without whose efforts he would not have reached the Prophet So Allah Ta'ala revealed this verse. And in another report, in Ibn Jarir and Ibn Abi Hatim, As-Sudi Rahmatullah said, this verse was revealed about the companions of Salman al-Farsi. So, Before moving on, another thing is mentioned. Mishalkum. So, simply put, in another report, the Prophet ﷺ, he said to Salman al-Farsi that these, 
your teachers, they were Muslims. So Salman al-Farsi said, they did guide me to you, Ya Rasulullah. So what's fascinating? Outwardly, they were still Christians. They still had the garments, they were still, etc., etc. But inwardly, they were Muslims. So Allah, the Almighty and Glorious, to substantiate that, He revealed this verse. Those who believe, either Muslims, those who call themselves Jews, Christians and Sabians, any who believe in Allah the Almighty and the last day, work righteousness, shall have their reward with their Lord, on them shall be no fear, nor shall they grieve. So this verse is meaning that no matter what you are outwardly, as long as you believe inwardly, you are successful. Now what's shocking, this verse is actually quoted quite frequently in interfaith dialogues. And what's wrong with this? What's wrong is you're giving the incorrect meaning of the verse. So you'll get ignorant Muslims, they said, it doesn't matter. As long as you're a pious Jew, you're a pious Christian, you're a pious Sabian, the Quran says that you will all be rewarded. So that's not the commentary of the verse. The verse is talking about Salman al-Farsi's teachers, indicating that they have to be Muslims. And of course, this verse would contradict another verse in Surah Ali Imran, which says those who are not Muslims, they will be unsuccessful. So now if you look at the verse, it also mentions Sabians. والصابعين. So who are the Sabians? So Mujahid Rahmatullah he said, this is an Ibn Jarir and Ibn Kathir tafsir. The Sabians are between the Majus, the Jews and the Christians. They do not have a specific religion. So simply put, they are a combination of the other Ahl al-Kitab. They have a bit of the Jewish beliefs in them, a bit of the Christian beliefs in them. And they don't really specify with one religion according to uh, Mujahid Rahmatullah. Hafiz ibn Kathir, he commented, It appears that the closest opinion to the truth, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, is Mujahid's statement. And those who agree with him, like Wahhab ibn Munabbih, Rahmatullah, that the Sabians are neither Jews nor Christians, nor Majus nor polytheists. Rather, they did not have a specific religion that they followed because they remained living according to their fitrah, yeah. i.e. their <coughs> instinctual nature. This is why the idolaters used to call whoever embraced Islam as a sabi, meaning that he abandoned all religions that existed on the earth. So this is the strongest view. And this is why if you read the books of Sirah, it mentions that those who embraced Islam, the unbelieving Quraysh, derogatory called them Sabis. So why did they call them that? Because that means they, they don't follow any religion. So that seems to indicate who the Sabians are, according to Ibn Kathir. And what's interesting, latest researchers have revealed a small remnant of a religious community numbering about 2,000 souls in lower Iraq near Basra. In Arabic, they are called Subbi. They are also called Sabians, Nasorians, and Mandians, or Christians of St. John. They claim to be Gnostics or knowers of the great life. They dress in white and believe in frequent submersion in water. Their book, Ginza, is in a dialect of Aramaic. They have theories of darkness and light as in Zoroastrian. They use the name Yardan 
for any liver. They live in peace and harmony amongst their Muslim neighbors. They resemble the Sabi'un <coughs> mentioned in the Quran. So what's interesting, there's still these people about and they have you know, very interesting mannerisms and rituals. They dress in white, they frequently submerge in water and they've called themselves, we are the followers of St. John, i.e. Yahya, And what's interesting, he's called John the Baptist in uh, the Christians. So do we believe that? And yes, we can believe that because anybody who embraces Islam, he has a bath. So Yahya was telling the people who embrace Islam to have a bath. So maybe that's why they call him the Baptist. So these people, they frequently immerse in water, which is interesting. They have a book, like the people of the book. It's called Ginza in Aramaic. And they live in peace. So maybe these are who are being referred to as well. And there's another thing which is worth mentioning. The Sabians are mentioned in the Quran in three places. Surah 2 verse 62, Surah 5 verse 69, and this verse, Surah 22 verse 17. They are different from the biblical Sabians, perhaps deriving their name from Sheba. So what's interesting, the Bible mentions Sabians, but the Quran is not referring to them. The Quranic Sabi'een were an offshoot of Christianity. The Encyclopedia Britannica describes them as Christians of St. John the Baptist. So this seems to indicate where they come from. They're the remnants of the revelation given to Yahya In the early Arab literature, they have also been called those who wash themselves. Al-Mukhtasila. The biblical Sabians, which are not the ones mentioned, seem to be a people of Southern Arabia whose kingdom was at its height in the 5th century before Christ. They were prosperous businessmen, very rich and worshipped heavenly bodies. As polytheists, they can never have been called by the Quran as the people of the book. So this is important. Even though they were Sabians in the southern part of Arabian Peninsula, uh, a century before the Prophet they called Sabians, it can't be in reference to them because they were, i.e., people who worshipped other things. So again, it's important to highlight this, which the scholars have mentioned. So the verse that we're going through, verse 17, it mentions those who believe in the Quran, those who follow the Jewish scripture, the Sabians, the Christians, and the Magians and polytheists. So now another important point. This is the only place where the Majus are mentioned in the Quran. So only in one place in the Quran does Allah mention the Magians is here. Who are these people? Their cult is an ancient one. They consider fire as the purest and noblest element. Worship it as a fit emblem of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Their location was the Persian and Median uplands and the Mesopotamian valleys. Their religion was reformed by Zardusht. Their scripture is the Zend Avesta, the Bible of the Par- Parsis. They were the wise men of the East mentioned in the Injil. So what's interesting, the Majus are mentioned in the Quran only in this place, the Magians. So who are they? So what we can say safely, they were from Persia. They were living in the Mesopotamian valleys. They have a scripture which is called Zend Advesta. What's interesting? Uh, the uh, Sayyidina Umar applied jizya to them. 
when Abdul Rahman ibn Yawf said in Sayyid Bukhari that Rasulullah applied jizya to the majus. So they're the people of scripture. And what is their scripture? Zenda Vesta. And what's interesting, if you look at the famous narrative in the Bible, who were the ones who brought gifts when Christ was born? The wise men of the East. These are the Majus. So that might be true. So note, Allah has mentioned them here, meaning they are also maybe people of the scripture. But what does Allah Ta'ala then say? Allah Ta'ala will judge between them on the day of judgment. For Allah Ta'ala is a witness of all things. So here again, note, Allah Ta'ala is mentioning, I was like I mentioned again and again, everywhere you find verses, they are perfectly placed. So why is Allah Ta'ala mentioned these deviations here? Because this is Surah Hajj. <laughs> Hajj is the worship of servitude. The Prophet or Umar who said, whoever has the means to perform Hajj and does not go, it does not matter whether he dies as a Jew or Christian. Meaning you are one of them, right? So this is the symbol of Hajj. Verse 18. So verse 18, this is prostration. So the ruling is, no matter how many times we go through it, you only have to do one prostration at the end. So verse 18. Do you not see that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prostrates in worship all things that are in the heavens and on earth? The sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the trees, the animals clinging to the earth and a great number amongst mankind. But a great number are also such as are fit for punishment and such as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall disgrace. None can raise to honor for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala carries out all that he wills. So now, what is explicitly mentioned in this verse? Everything in the heavens and the earth prostrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what's the first thing Allah ta'ala mentions? He mentions the sun. So what's interesting, there's another verse. In Surah 36 verse 38, in Surah Yasin verse 38, there's a report it mentions. So this is recorded in Sayyid Bukhari. Abu Dhar he said, I was once with the Prophet in the masjid and it was Maghrib. And he said, O Abu Dhar, do you know where the sun sets? I said, Allah and his messenger know best. He said, it goes and prostrates beneath the arsh. And this is what Allah refers to and the Prophet recited verse 38. وَالشَّمْسُ تَجْرِي لِمُسْتَقَرِّ اللَّهَ ذَلِكَ تَقَدِيرُ الْعَزِيزِ الْعَلِيمِ And the sun runs its course for a period determined. That is the decree, the exalted in might, the all-knowing. So what did the Prophet say when the sun set? It prostrates under the arsh. So he mentioned the word prostrate. So that is the prostration of the sun. So now how do we explain this through science? Very easily. Ibn Kathir said in his tafsir, wherever it goes, it's always beneath the arsh, it and all the creation. <laughs> so when the Prophet said it prostrates under the arsh, everything's under the arsh. So meaning when the sun sets, Allah has created the system in a way that it looks like it's setting. But if you ask the scientists, the astronomers, it's talking about the turning of the earth and the movement of the sun and all the rest of it. But the prostration, but the prostration is that, right? And that's what the Prophet was referring to. Now, why have I mentioned that? Because some people think this hadith contradicts science. 
because you're so backward, you believe the sun prostrates. And they're thinking you're talking about our prostration on seven joints. And you respond, no, right? The prostration is referring to the sun setting. Because it says under the Arish. And he goes, you don't know what the Arish is. You think it is a Father Christmas sitting on a throne. Right? The Arish is the roof of creation. So whatever is going is prostrating under. That's the prostration of the sun. So why have I mentioned that here? Because Allah Ta'ala mentions it first. What does he say? The sun. You have to explain that. How does the sun prostrate? Right? And some people foolishly say, like we prostrate. Not referring to that. Then he mentions the moon. The moon prostrates. So again, the same principle. The birth of the moon, the setting of the moon, etc. etc. The stars. Now what's interesting? One nujum. Now, is the nujum referring to the stars? So there's a verse, Surah 55 verse 6, Surah Rahman. In Surah 55 verse 6, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions there, and the najm and the trees both prostrate in, in worship. Ibn Abbas, he said, najm refers to plants that lay on the ground. This is in Ibn Jarin and Ibn Kathir's tafsir. So najm could mean star, which is correct. But it also means the plants that like grow on the ground. So why is that interesting? Because if you look at the verse, Allah Ta'ala mentions after the sun and the moon, one nujum. Then he mentions the mountains, then he mentions the trees. So it seems to indicate it's probably referring to the plants. So even plants prostrate to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Then he mentions the mountains. The mountains prostrate. And I've mentioned, I'll mention it briefly again. How does that take place? So in Surah 21 verse 79, in Surah 21 verse 79, Allah Ta'ala mentions about Dawood It was our power that made the mountains and the birds celebrate our praises with Dawood. It was we who did all things. So the mountains, even though they look stationary, they are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how did they prostrate? So obviously not like us. Apparently they don't move, but they have a prostration. <coughs> Whatever that is, Allah Ta'ala has mentioned it, but they are alive. And there's actually reports mentioning that when there's an avalanche, that's because of the shaking, the fear of the mountain. And also the reports mention that mountains weep. And there's actually places in the world where people, where they recite the Quran and water starts coming down the mountain. <laughs> because miraculous areas in the world, because where's this water coming from? It's the mountain weeping over the recital of the Quran. So note, mountains also are mentioned. Then it mentions trees. The trees. And I've also uh, mentioned that the trees also prostrate. In fact, there's a report mentioning on the night of Qadr, they literally bow down to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then it mentions the animals. What dawab? The dawab are the animals that cling to the ground. So it's not birds. It's not, it's like us, human beings, animals that cling to the ground. They prostrate. A great number of them also prostrate. It mentions here. So now, what's fascinating? Somebody could argue, but the unbelievers don't prostrate. You can't metaphorically explain that away. They're, they're human beings. And the Quran says, everything in the heavens and the earth prostrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the response to that is, there's another passage. In Surah 16, verse 48. 
in Surah An-Nahl, Surah 16, verse 48, the translation of which is, Do they not see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation amongst the things, how their shadows turn around from the right and left, prostrating themselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is in the humblest manner. So there's a report. In Ibn Jarir and Ibn Kathir's tafsir, Mujahid Qatad rahimahumullah said, when the sun passes the zenith, everything prostrates to Allah, may he be glorified. So the Salaf said that after Zawal, when the Zohar time enters, everything prostrates. And that's referring to the shadows. Right? This is what they're referring to. Also, there's a direct hadith in Tirmidhi, number 3139, is Gharib Behaki in Iman, Mishkal, number 1177. Amir al-Mu'mineen Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu said that the Prophet wasallam said, the four rakats that are offered before, offered after the Zawal and before the Zuhr prayer are equivalent in virtue to four rakats of Tahajjid prayer. Rasulullah then said, wasallam, it is in this hour that everything glorifies Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he recited these verses. Verse 49 included in verse 50, where he mentioned the angels also prostrate. So the Prophet explained these verses himself, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that is the shadows. So when did Abu Jahl's shadow, uh, when did Abu Jahl prostrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? After the wall, his shadow. Can you stop your shadow from prostrate? So when Allah ta'ala says in this passage, that everything prostrates in the heavens and the earth, this is what it's referring to. The, the shadows, they're moving, coming back alive, for want of a better word, after the zenith, is their prostration. And just to add briefly, it mentions in verse 49 and 50, the angels also worship, la yastak birun, and they are not arrogant. The Prophet wasallam said in Tabarani Bazar Sahih, in As-Sahihah number 2289, on the night of Isra, I passed by the highest angels, Jibreel والسلام, looked like a worn out rug from fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the angels, they fear their Lord too much. Jibreel looked grey in his fear of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So going back to the verse. So the verse reads, Everything in the heavens and the earth prostrates to their Lord, the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the trees, the animals, and a great number amongst mankind. But a great number are also such as are fit for punishment. So what's interesting? Allah Ta'ala does not say they don't prostrate. He says everything prostrates, which I've mentioned. But then he says, but a huge number But a great number are fit for punishment. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and such as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall disgrace, nobody can raise in honor. For Allah Ta'ala carries out all that He wills. So there's actually a report here. So this narration is recorded by Hafiz ibn Qayyim in his Al-Jawab al-Qafi, page 54 onwards. So he mentions that the effects of sins, so quoting, Sins are the reason behind the degradation of the servant in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He quotes, Hassan al-Basri rahmatullahi said, In the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sinners are lowly and despicable. <coughs> if Allah ta'ala cherish them, 
he would have protected them against such degradation. If the servant is degradable in the sight of Allah, no one can honor him. And then he recited this portion of the verse. And such as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall disgrace, none can raise in honor. Then Ibn Qayyim says something very interesting. If people outwardly honor such sinful people due to their need or fear of them, they are still lowly and significant in their hearts. So some people, they think, well, hang on a minute, people respect. Okay, they're off their heads, but they fear and respect them. And you ask them, what about in your hearts, do you respect them? They goes, no, we hate them. But there you go. So even the creation don't have that love and veneration for the sinners. Even though outwardly they may lower their heads and thinking, look, he's this and he's that. He's the yes man and this. It doesn't matter. In their hearts, they despise them. They need them or they despise them. So look how interesting. When Allah talks about those who don't prostrate, what does he say? And such as Allah shall disgrace, none can raise in honor. Meaning that by not prostrating, you are disgraceful. You are degraded in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why there's a prostration here. <laughs> because if you don't prostrate, think about it, people start discussing fiqh. Don't discuss fiqh, brother, get prostrating. Allah is saying everything prostrates to me. And that's why there's a prostration here. When you look at the verse and look at the meaning, you realize why there's a prostration here. And in conclusion, what does Allah say at the end of the very first surah? Surah Alaq. Fasjud waqtarib. Prostrate and draw closer. So Allah mentions the purpose of the prostration. The prostration brings you close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why in Sayyid Muslim, the Prophet said, A servant is not closer to his Lord than when he is in prostration. Therefore supplicate to your Lord, i.e. in that position. Right. So this also explains another very important principle that Allah is free of direction. Because if you prostrate and you believe, like some believe, that Allah is literally above the arsh, you are further from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you prostrate. <coughs> right? But Allah says, prostrate and draw closer. So Allah is telling you that, you know, He's not in a time, space, direction as they say. So I'll recite the verses and we will conclude. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَالَّذِينَ هَادُوا وَالصَّابِئِينَ وَالنَّصَارَى وَالْمَجُوسَ وَالَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَفْصِلُ بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ شَهِيدٌ أَلَمْ تَرَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَسْجُدُ لَهُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَالشَّمْسُ وَالْقَمَرُ وَالنُّجُومُ وَالْجِبَالُ وَالشَّجَرُ وَالدَّوَابُ وَكَثِيرٌ مِّنَ النَّاسِ وَكَثِيرٌ حَقَّ عَلِيهِ الْعَذَابِ وَمَنْ يُهِنِ اللَّهُ فَمَا لَهُ مِنْ مُقْرِمٍ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَفْعَلُ مَا يَشَاءُ we pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu that He makes the Quran the Rabbi of our hearts. And I pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu that He forgives me for any edits which I may have in the words I put.